This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So it was like I had this really long journey of figuring out some things about myself, my own voice, my own strength, what it was that I was passionate about and how to use that voice. And now I feel like I have the opportunity to share that voice with others, whether it's the voice of going through addiction, whether it's the voice of being a mom and feeling overwhelmed, whether it's the voice of being an actress and what that represents to certain people, whether it's Mm -hmm. being out there and working in social justice areas. I get to then use that voice that I found in myself and be an example to others. And particularly, I hope young women of all kinds to really stand in their truth and their power Because we're so often told, particularly young women, to be quiet, like we were talking about earlier, to be polite, to be nice, to not stand up for yourself. That's what I want to teach my girls. It's, I think, my most important lesson that I teach my daughters is how to be a strong woman and to love yourself unconditionally. What's up, guys? It's Allison. Welcome to another episode of the Allison Interviews Podcast. On this episode, I had such a rad conversation with Jody Sweeten. She is Stephanie Tanner on Full House and the Netflix series that just completed its five-season run, Fuller House. Jody's been famous since she was five years old during the first season of Full House. Whenever that was, I think it was back in like 86, when she first started playing the character of Stephanie Tanner on Full House. And she really had such interesting things to say about what it's been like for her to be a famous person from the time she was five years old as a little kid and then as a teenager and then in her 20s and 30s. And now she is a grown ass woman. I think she's turning 40 next year. She's got two kids. You know, I've read so many things about her in the press over the years, you know, that it wasn't always smooth sailing. But that's totally cool because what I've realized from doing these interviews and even about myself is that we're all so messy. You know, life is just filled with ups and downs. I'm no saint, (laughs) to be honest with you. And it's just so refreshing to speak to people where you know that they've really been through it. You know that they've had a lot of ups and downs in their life. And then they rise like a phoenix. You know, like her career is going great. Her kids are great. She's in an amazing relationship. She's got an awesome podcast that she's going to talk about during this interview. So we are like fellow podcasters going on here. And just sit back and enjoy this really cool vibe with me and Jody Sweeten. What are the three most pivotal events in your life that have shaped the human being that you are today? It would be when I was adopted, you know, like 14 months old, that completely changed the trajectory of my life. Being cast on Full House mm-hmm. at five, and then having my first daughter at 26. Those things changed everything about my life. Yeah. 
And you were adopted by your uncle and his wife? It was my adopted dad's ex-wife and family that he still, you know, knew his through his uh, children from his first marriage and stuff. So it was there was a a family connection, but it's his he's not technically my uncle. He would be not really related to me, but would still sort of check in on, you know, his family and stuff, obviously. And I yeah, I wound up being adopted by them and they just sort of took me in and everything changed. You know, I I wound up exactly where I was supposed to be. So do you ever, are, are, are your birth parents uh, alive? Have you ever connected with them? No, I've never connected with them. Um, I, as far as I know, they're not alive and I'm totally okay with that. Like it, it was one of those things. I think a lot of adoptees feel that way where it's like, there's this point in your life where you finally kind of realize what happened, that it no longer becomes something about you, that it's like, oh, I wasn't wanted or I was, it was like, no, they actually made the healthiest decision for me by allowing me to, you know, be adopted by another family that could provide better. So yeah, I, like I look at it now very differently than, than I did when I was young, which was in a very self-torturous way of like, oh, I'm, something was wrong with me. Something, you know, I think we all kind of take that on a little bit, but completely changed how I view myself. So you were five years old when you got cast on Full House. Were you an introverted shy kid who like one of those kids who came out or were you just like always bubbly and, and outgoing? I was always bubbly and outgoing. My mom used to say when I was like two years old, she'd worry that I would just walk home with a stranger in the supermarket because everyone was my friend. I would just, hi, I'm Jody. Hi, nice. To, you know, like, so <laughs> I'm still sort of like that but haven't gone home from the grocery store with anyone. So, uh, (laughs) you know, I was always an outgoing kid. I loved performing. I loved dance. Mm -hmm. I started dancing when I was about three years old doing, you know, a tap and ballet and all that. And, um, my very first dance recital, I was in the second row. And apparently I thought that the girls in front of me in our little cabbage patch outfits, I thought they were not doing as well as they needed to. So I sort of wormed my way up to the front and like kind of pushed them out of the way and was like, here's how it's done. So, you know, I <laughs> now looking back, obnoxious little kid, but like, I so loved performing and wanted to be in the, like, I just, I loved it. It was so much fun. When you went to the audition, were you like, like, I got this? Like- well, I actually never auditioned for the show. I did a guest appearance on a show called Valerie with Valerie Harper. Uh, and Jason Bateman. And I played the next door neighbor's niece. And I did one episode of that show. And I, it was for the same producers that were creating Full House at the time and the mm-hmm. same company. And so they were like, that's Stephanie and cast me from doing that episode as Stephanie on Full House. So, oh, it, wow. Yeah. Like that's, I always say, like, I, I just, I wound up exactly where I was supposed to be. And yeah everything in my life changed after that. And when all the kids were on the set, it was you, Candace Cameron Bure, it was uh, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, and the young lady who plays Kimmy, what what was her name again? Andrea Barber. Okay, so you have all the kids on the show, and then you've got John Stamos and Bob Saget and Dave Coulier. Like, how did they interact with you guys as little kids? What was that relationship like? We were like family from the beginning. Like the guys on the show always 
took care of us. You know, they, they just, it was like a very familial vibe from the beginning. It was never a show where like the kids and the adults really didn't have anything to do with each other. And that happens a lot on shows. It didn't right. happen full house and it didn't happen on fuller house because that's just not kind of the vibe of our show. Like the kids were always, we were always included in the family barbecues and the, you know, and getting together and doing stuff. They always looked out for us from, you know, the time we started, I was five, Candace and Andrea were 10, you know, Ashley and Mary Kate were like nine months old. Wow. They were like uncles. They really were. They, I mean, I was very close with Bob and his three daughters, Dave and his son and, you know, John, and like now with his, his wife and baby, or he's gosh, Billy's not a baby anymore. But even from the beginning, like they've just been family. I love and adore all of them still to this day. We're still really close. So for mm. me, I had a really fortunate childhood in this business. I know not yeah. people do, but I never had any negative experiences on set with the people I worked with. You know, it was never anything like that. So I always mm. I, I had a great experience in this business. You know, lucky. So you felt like protected and insulated completely, completely. And our and it wasn't just the cast, but our crew, our producers. It was a really family friendly set. Like, you know, as kids, our parents were there and the cast knew our parents like they were involved. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to describe how much of a family, not just the cast, but the entire crew was so much so that, you know, even in uh, Fuller House, like we had camera people that had worked on the original show. We had all kinds of stuff people that had been around that show forever and people that said that working on Full and Fuller House was some of the best experiences they've ever had on a television set. Cause it was just fun. Nobody had ego and drama and, you know, of course there's always little things, but like, it just wasn't a nightmare. It was actually a really wonderful experience and we all really loved each other. And the set that you guys came back to for Fuller House, was it the exact same set or did they have to rebuild? Yeah. They tear those things down. Uh, you know, after a, a show is done, they, it just all goes back to set department and it's nothing. But the funny thing was, is I think it was the year before we went into production, they had gotten rid of the floor plans at Warner brothers for the full house house. Cause they were like, you know, after I think 25 years or something, they 20 years, whatever, they decide like, look, we're not going to, we don't need these anymore. So they had cleared out everything. So when they went to go build the Fuller House sets, mm-hmm. the art department and our set design people actually had to go back and watch old episodes wow. and train it from that because they didn't have the blueprints anymore. So that was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Have you been to the actual, the exterior house in San Francisco? <laughs> I've been in the interior of the exterior house in San Francisco. Okay. I actually bought it at one point and we all put our hands in cement in the backyard. We had a big press thing there. The neighbors do not love that. The previous owners had painted the house. So it looked nothing like the full house house because there would be up to a thousand people that would drive by that house in city tour. No way. Getting out to take pictures on the steps and all like there was a chain hanging in front. Please don't, you know, climb up to the door, all this stuff. So when Jeff bought it and wanted to turn it back into looking like the house and we did some exterior shots there for Fuller, yeah, the neighbors weren't too happy about it. Oh, and, man. and it's also, I mean, it's so funny because, you know, we always knew like there's no, there's no physically possible way that that house could actually exist as large as it is 
or in San Francisco. Like, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so going to the inside of it and seeing just how tiny that house is and how there's no way it could look like it does in the show. It was just really funny. Wow. This could like, you could not fit all those people in this house. (laughs) That's that's really funny. (laughs) So as you were growing up and like going through adolescence, did you ever have a crush on one of the guys on the show? No, they're like families. People always ask her like, oh my God, wasn't John Stamos so cute? I'm like, Dude, I've known John since I was five and like, I've seen him, you know, roll into work and like old t-shirts and like sweatpants with holes in them and like not looking all that cute. Right. Just John to me. Like I know him too well to be like, oh my God, he's so hot. I'm like, he's a big dork and I love him. (laughs) So that's the funny thing is like, you get to know people so well that you're like, oh my God, no, no. I see why. Yes. I know he's good looking and all this stuff, but like, yeah. I like, oh, no, that would be like having a weird crush on your uncle. You're just kind of got it. Okay. Right. So when you're out and about, do you fly under the radar or are you easily recognizable or what, what's your story when you go out? I'm pretty easily recognizable just because thank God I (laughs) (laughs) haven't changed that much in my appearance. I'm going to be 40 in January and, uh, Thankfully, I would like to say I've aged fairly well. So, uh, you know, people definitely recognize me. And it was, I think, getting a little bit less and a little bit less before Fuller House came back. But then, yeah, was on, then, yeah people definitely started recognizing me again because they came to know me as you know, an adult version of Stephanie. And so and also the Hallmark movies and just, you know, getting back to work as an adult. Now I definitely get recognized a lot more. Okay. But not to the point where I can't like go to the grocery store or something, that kind of fame. Gosh, I can't imagine. I know there's a lot of people that are super, super famous like that. And to me, that sounds really overwhelming. (laughs) You know what's so tragic about that? I love going to the supermarket and maybe I'm like a weirdo, right? but I love going to Whole Foods. It's like Disneyland to me. Like, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Give me like a Trader Joe's or a, you know, somewhere to like snack little things for all that stuff. I love it. But yeah, it's, there's a sense of normalcy that comes with being able to do some of those things. And I think it's really hard when you lose that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I know as a kid, it was hard for me to go to a mall as a kid. It was hard for me to go places as a kid to Disneyland, any of that. I really couldn't do it without a guide or without, you know, kind of yeah down or whatever as a kid, because the show was everywhere and it was ABC primetime Friday night. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody had appointment television and you watched everything. So it was definitely different as a kid. I got recognized a lot more, but yeah. Well, what is that like as a kid? It's weird. It's weird. And it was weird to me only because I talk about this all the time. Like I didn't watch the show. I wasn't like super impressed with being on TV. Like, not like I was ungrateful for it, but I was like, I don't see what the big deal is. Like, I just have a job and other people watch it, but Oh, well, you know, like I just thought it was sort of normal. It was what I'd always known. So it. Yeah. And realizing the extent to which the show grew. I mean, even as an adult, you know, we went, we flew to Japan twice. We went over to Japan and the show is huge in Japan to the point where we got off the plane and there were like 300 people at the airport in Tokyo waiting for us. Oh, well. Like being the Beatles, you were like, "What is happening?" Like those are the moments, or you get into a cab in Japan, and there's 
full house dubbed in Japanese playing on the little screen in the, you know, that's just what they play. Like Mm -hmm. that stuff is crazy. And as a kid, you're kind of not as aware of the world around you anyway. So it just show up to these things and like "Eh, people take my picture, whatever. But it wasn't like I was looking at magazines with myself in them. It wasn't, you know, I knew they were out there, but I didn't, I was like, "Eh, whatever. But I didn't realize the reach that it had. You know, I didn't realize just how popular it was until it became impossible to go to places like Disneyland or Disney World or the mall or things like that as a kid. And then you're like, oh, well, that's weird. You know, like, (laughs) I guess I I, I can't really blend in like that anymore. Um, Well, do you know what's going through? Like like when you see kids in the tabloids, whether it's the, the kid of a celebrity or a child actor do you ever look at it and be like, oh, I know what's going through that kid's head? You know, whether it, whether it's the Kardashians kids or, or anything like that. I mean, again, when you're sort of for kids like that, that are like born into notoriety, a famous family, famous parents, whatever, or just have been in the business. I mean, I started working when I was three and a half, four. So like, I just, it's always been what I know. I think there's almost more of a, of a shock when it happens to you a little later in life. You're like my entire life being normal. And now what the hell is this? When you just grow up with it, you're kind of like, oh, this is just sort of par for the course. But, and I think, you know, I was attacked as a kid in the tabloids. I can't stand tabloid magazines. I mean, and even social media these days, like it's just really negative. And I think anybody that goes after somebody's kids, you know, whether it's how they dress on a red carpet or how somebody's parenting them when they're out in public, like just leave the kids, leave them alone. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. really bothersome. But it's like a celebrity's kid where you're like, this kid, this just happens to be their parents. Like, right. Leave them alone. You know what I mean? They, they didn't ask to be given all this attention, like back off, you know, or respect, you know, celebrity parents are like, please don't photograph my kids or put pictures of them in magazines or whatever. Like people should respect that. I think that's a, it's just a kind of a really tacky you know, but you know what? I, I don't think that people really like make the connection. If you were in the supermarket and it was your kid on the cover of some random magazine with some funky headline, what that would feel like. I don't think people make that connection when they pick it up and buy it. I mean, you know, with, with social media and stuff as it is now, it's the same thing. Everyone wants to see the worst or the overinflated best. You know, I mean, look, there's plenty of times when I've had to yell at my kids in the grocery store and I know somebody's recognized me or been watching. And I'm like, I look, you know, Stephanie Tanner had to yell at her kids in the grocery store. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. so speaking of kids, I listened to an episode of your podcast the other day. Never thought I'd say this. And yep. a lot of what you cover is motherhood. Yep. Parenting, motherhood. Single motherhood in particular, my, my best friend and I had, you know, we, we have boyfriends now, but we had been single moms for a while and, yeah. you know, just the adventures of parenting that nobody tells you about that sometimes pretty awful. And also we, we are very honest in our own parenting fails and like, look, we are not the Instagram, Pinterest, lunchbox making parents. We are the ones that are like screaming as we're all running out the door. Somebody's late. Somebody forgot something like that's who we are. <laughs> you know, very normal. And we have a lot of fun with it. So I I'm really proud of what we do with the podcast. And your co-host, she's a therapist and she's your best friend. Um, how'd you guys meet? Celia Behar and I met actually online about, oh my gosh, we always argue over this point. 
we said it was eight years, but that might've been two years ago. So I don't know. We've known each other for a long time and we met online. She was actually living in New York at the time, running a Facebook group called Little Mamas and a website that my friend Allison Porter had co-run with her. Allison was um, Curly Sue in when she was a, a little girl in that movie. And then she mm-hmm. also won The Voice a few years ago. Really, really talented. But Allison introduced me to Celia and Celia and I just became internet friends. Like we would write back and forth and there was something like we just got each other. Our girls were both about the same age, very similar temperaments. Mm-hmm. And I would constantly see what she was writing about her kids. And I was like, oh my God, same. Like my kid said almost the same exact thing or that, you know, she's like, we have very similar little people. It was just this like safe person that I could go to and talk about anything. Cause we, we'd never met in person. We hadn't, you know, there was like no real life connection. And then she moved out here and okay. happened to move within three blocks of where I lived. Oh, cool. And we finally were like, let's do coffee. And we did. And like, ever since then, it's been, it's been on <laughs> you're going to with somebody and you're like, and then we got married. Like, it's just, she and I <laughs> like, like the, our first coffee date was like three and a half hours. It, we just laughed the whole time. We understood each other. We don't judge each other. It's one of the best friendships that I have in my life. And I have a lot of amazing, amazing friendships these days. And she and I just, we have so much fun together. I mean, we laugh way harder at our own jokes than we should, but it's a good time. That's awesome. And how did the podcast come about? Did you just say to her, like, will you do this with me? She and I were like tossing around the idea because we'd be telling these parenting stories and it would be like, oh my God, I never thought I'd have to say this to another human being, but here's whatever I had to yell at my kids about. And you're like, oh my God, there's just so much about parenting. Like no one ever tells you like the weird things that you have to teach little humans. You're like, Oh, that's right. They don't come pre-programmed. Like I've got to, got to do all this stuff. You know, the potty yeah. <laughs> manners and like, no, you can't just like whip it out in the grocery store. Cause you got to pee like that. You know, so like there's certain that you don't think about having to train up a human being in yeah, from the ground up. Yeah. And so we would just always laugh about it. I never thought I'd have to say this. And that became the name of the podcast. And we actually got approached by a production company at the time and that I had been working with on another show, Hollywood Darlings. And we wound up going ahead with the idea. And we're now wrapping up our fourth season. Nice. Uh, Started a YouTube channel, which is pretty much she and I doing ridiculous uh, competitions, internet stunts, like just silly, silly stuff but usually doing it really terribly because we're way too old for this shit. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's really fun. So I, I'm, I'm so glad I get to do something like this with my best friend. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, 
food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Firstly, I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast. Athletic Greens has a product called AG1 that I have been using literally every morning. When I start my morning with AG1 drink first thing before my coffee or my morning smoothie, it's a whole different ballgame. So I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get down to the kitchen, I put in a scoop of AG1 into my water. I stir it up. I drink it down. It's a few seconds out of my morning, and I just feel so much more energetic than I did before. I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens all in one drink. I feel like I'm starting my day on the right foot, and it's a good feeling to know that you're starting your day by being kind to yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes, and I respect their company values. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. They also stay on the cutting edge of nutritional research, which is super important to me. AG1 is the single greatest thing you can do for your body in under 60 seconds. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews. Again, it's athleticgreens.com forward slash Allison Interviews to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. What is the greatest lesson that you have learned from your kids Mm. that they have taught you? You know, I watch my kids all the time and they, my girls have good boundaries and stand up for themselves and speak their mind. Mm -hmm. Particularly my older one has kind of always been that kid that was like, yeah, I don't like that. Not necessarily bratty, but just like, no, I'm not doing that. And I didn't get those skills till I was like in my thirties. And I watched my girls demonstrate that. And I'd like to think it's because they see that that's how I am in my life now. But they just have a a sense, you know, they're still middle school girls, so it's all up in the air. But they, for the most part, they have a very good sense of self. And I learn that from them all the time. Like they just express themselves in their clothes, in their rooms, in whatever it is, because Mm -hmm. they like. And I admire them for that because I think as a kid, I, and well into my 20s, like I said, in probably early 30s, I cared way too much what people thought of me. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's, you know, elements of peer pressure and stuff for them too, but I'm just so proud of 
how they stand up for themselves and how they say, this is who I am and this is what I like. And girls today don't suffer from the disease of politeness that like our generation did. Our generation learned from our mom's generation, which was, and again, it was very much like girls don't say that girls Mm -hmm. are polite. girls don't say, you know, and like I said, not until my late thirties, mid thirties, did I finally go like, Oh wait, I get to have boundaries. I get to say what I don't like. I don't have to hang out with people that I don't want to go on a date with somebody because I'm trying to not make them feel bad. I don't have to be nice to somebody who comes and says something horrible to me. Like, I don't have to do any of that. Oh, wow. What a gift. What freedom. I don't have to be a nice lady. You know what I mean? And not like I'm not a nice person. Right. Something that I think the, the message that women always get is like, you're supposed to be nice. You're supposed to smile. You're supposed to, and I'm, my girls are like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I love it. They're like, I don't have to, <laughs> you know, like, I don't have to smile for you. I don't like, I've seen comments that, you know, maybe someone will leave on their page and they're like, that doesn't, I don't need to hear that from you. Like, I don't, they just have very firm boundaries and they are just so wonderfully expressive in who they are. And I like, I, I give them the freedom to be that, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm try if that's what you want to wear, like it's nothing inappropriate. It's just usually something where you're like, you're really going to love these pictures. And the fact that they're posted all over the internet in about 20 years, you're going to look back and be like, why did you let me wear that in public? (laughs) (laughs) You want to do so go for it. You know what I mean? Like figure it out. And I think young women are figuring themselves out Mm -hmm. a little bit younger, you know, screw being polite. If something feels off, you don't have to be nice. If you're in a parking lot and somebody comes up to you to ask for directions, you can be like, Hey, get the hell away from me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can be that now you don't have to be polite and put yourself in danger to make other people comfortable. Do you remember when you learned how to say no? Was there ever something that you said yes to that you really wanted to say no to? Probably all the time. I mean, like I lived a large portion of my life engaged in a lot of people pleasing behavior in a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, putting my own needs and wants, you know, even morals or judgments to the side in order to just kind of go along. The hard thing is sometimes I'm a pretty easygoing person. So there's not a lot that like, I'm going to fight over. I'm like, eh, whatever. It's not a big deal. Like I'm a little uncomfortable, you know, whatever, make it work, just get through this. But I really had to define for myself, like what is just being easygoing for the best of everyone involved and what is being a detriment to myself and hiding who I really am just so that other people feel more comfortable. And, you know, there's a fine line between that, mm-hmm. but I know for so much of my life, I would be like, Oh, sure. Okay. You know, like whether it came to dating, being asked to do, you know, whatever, like, Hey, can you volunteer with it? Can you do that? Yeah, sure. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'll take on like 13 extra hours of work. I totally have time as a single mom. And like, yeah, I could stay up. (laughs) It's now come to that point where I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do that to myself. Yeah. It's okay to be like, no, not today. Because I'm a single mom. I know that you have a significant other now, but how did you navigate dating as a single mom and how did you balance that? And did you do like separation of church and state? Like nobody meets my kids, all of that. I didn't do that as much. I've learned over the years, like how to sort of, you know, do it better, I guess. Mm-hmm. And also I'm a single mom, but their dads are in their lives. I do. Right. 
them. So it wasn't like I had it all, all the time. You know what I mean? But let me correct that. Cause I always say this about myself. Okay. So not single moms, but a mom who happens to be single, single. and exactly. dating. Mom right. Is, right. Mother was single. And I think as my girls have gotten older, my boyfriend and I have been together now for four years and he really did an amazing job at like, you know, and we had a long distance relationship too. He was in Brooklyn and I was here in New York for Mm -hmm. almost three and a half years. And so it was slow and it was nice. And he, he was very good at like letting them warm up to him and not being like having to force a relationship. And I think that's the hard thing is as a mom, you're like, oh God, just everybody get along. Like, I really like this person and they're, you know, and they can't, I'm not sacrificing my kids, but like, how do I make everybody at the end of the day? Like you'll put up with your own kids nonsense. Right. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, like I can tune my kids out. And like the other day I was watching a show. One of them had the music, you know, super loud, but whatever they were in their room. And I just la 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 <laughs> turned it out. And my boyfriend was like, I, I can't, I can't, it's too much. Like I can't. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It is really obnoxiously loud. It was like shake, you know what I mean? Like the wall. And I was like, okay, yeah, you've got to, but you're so all good. Like, do you say to him, like, you can go in there and say something to them or like, no, 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 I'm the mom. I'll go in there. And you know what? It's, I, at that point was like, yeah, you're right. It's obnoxious. I've so learned to like ignore as a mom to a 13 and 11 year old girls, you're like, oh, whatever, like the <laughs> decibel level just increases, right? Like they're just loud. And also I'm, I'm a louder person. My boyfriend's always like, you, it's a very loud family. <laughs> he is much more quiet and reserved. And like, I'll be the one yelling at the kids from upstairs. Zoe, Zoe, come here. You know, like, <laughs> but like, Hey, come up here. I got to, you know, and he's like, why don't you go down to her room? I'm like, because I don't want to walk that far. He's like, so you're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> we joke about it. But like, it is. It's introducing someone into your world and your dynamic. But he is so wonderful about being like, I know. He knows where he stands. He knows mm-hmm. what is his to chime in on and what isn't. And he knows when to back me up and when to, you know, sometimes be like, you know, hey, babe, I think maybe this might've gone back. Cause, and, and he's a therapist. He, you know, he's worked with adolescents and stuff for a long time. So oh. I advice <laughs> because he's really great at being the person outside of it. And I'm in it like, Oh my God, everything's wrong. And he's like, actually you're like freaking out. And I think you might be okay. <laughs> huh? I like that. Yeah. We I actually like have a really dynamic and my girls really get along with him. Um, he makes an effort to like you know, cook them things that they like or pick them up the snacks they like at the store or do, you know, remember things that are important to them. Like it, it's really sweet. He has made a really great effort to have a good relationship with them. So as mom, sometimes I know I'm like, I am not the person that they want to see right now. (laughs) Like I'm just, I'm mom. Ew, you don't understand. Like, so it's a lot of that. Well, you have girls. Yeah. Okay. Middle school Different. and eighth grade girls. It's so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much. When was the first time that your girls realized that you were a public person? Um, my kids have always known it because even when they were little, it was their birth announcements were out in public. The fact that they were born, you know, they can Google themselves like most kids can't really do that. So they always were like, oh, mom's a famous person, but they, if anything, they're so unimpressed by it and really just like, oh, 
mom, you're not cool. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, I know I'm not. I know it's okay. I luckily have grown old enough that I don't need to be cool anymore. Right. <laughs> that pressure is lifted. No, I, t- I still get that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But you know, for them, I mean, they love supporting me. They love watching me, you know, shoot something or do whatever. But I think really they love it for the craft service because I don't, they don't really care about what I'm actually shooting. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, <laughs> Like, yeah, whatever, mom. Like it's, they love the perks and they're super grateful for the fun stuff we get to do because of it. But, you know, if anything, I think sometimes it's hard for them because their friends are like, oh my God, that's your mom. And they're like, yeah, she's not, she's still a mom. (laughs) It's not all it's cracked up to be kids. By the way, I want to thank you. I forget what the connection was, but I think you posted on Instagram that one of your girls, their father is Jewish. Yes. Am yeah. I getting this right? My younger daughter's dad is Jewish. Yeah. I wanted to thank you for speaking out against anti-Semitism Absolutely. and applaud you for that. I'm Jewish. Um, what Celia is. Her girls are like. Yeah, Celia is. I've known my entire life and grown up with, you know, are, and I've celebrated with them. And I, my daughter loves that part of her heritage, you know, and she, I always make sure she has a menorah here to light for the holidays and gets to participate and connects with that side of who she is. It's important. And it's important that those of us who don't face anti-Semitism and horrors of that stand up and say something too. And be like, no, I'm not, this is not going to happen to people around. It means a lot. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you could travel back in time to any famous historical event and change the course of that event in history, where would you go and what would you attempt to change? I mean, I feel like last year just gave me so much material. Um, <laughs> 2020 alone. Can, can we just skip 2020? How about that? Um, <laughs> travel and skip from, from no. December 31st, 2019, just to to 2021. But I think probably for recent history, I would love, I would love to go back and change the course of this pandemic. I know it's much more recent probably than something hundreds or even thousands of years ago, but I feel like, I mean, the pain and the loss and the death was awful. Mm Mm-hmm. But also the impact that it's had on our kids, on our families, on our politics, on everything. Just really, I mean, I think it's brought some things to the surface that need needed to be. But I also think it it has forever altered the course of our lives in a very, very complicated way. I think definitely the reason I said that is because I, I I've seen it in my kids' eyes. I've seen it through their eyes. I've seen how it affected their lives. And we you know, we, we did well, nobody in our immediate family got COVID, but I can only imagine if as semi-smooth sailing as it was for us, mm-hmm. imagine what other people went through. And I think that sort of collective trauma and like pain has really affected us. And I think is really going to affect people's mental health in ways yeah. that we haven't seen yet. You know, mental health is a huge hugely important thing to me, big advocate for talking about it, destigmatizing it. I think that's my, my concern right now is like, how are we, cause I know I was a mess during the pandemic. I was not a fully functioning person. I was awful. Well, well, I don't know if I was a mess, but I got fatter. So <laughs> I, I lost like 37 pounds. Cause I'm a stress starver. So are like, serious? I, 
but like not in a good way. I just stopped eating. I couldn't keep food down. Like, I'll be real honest about it. The pandemic was not good for me. I have severe anxiety and depression anyway. Yeah. Really didn't do any favors for my mental health. So I really struggled with it. And for me, like it was a time of feeling really out of control. And again, I can imagine how that affected people who were working on the front lines, people who were nurses, people who were losing family members to COVID. You know, I fell apart and I was managing to do okay, but I was terrified for my kids and for the world and for all of it. Yeah. So, you know, I think if anything, I would like, I would love to go back and just, just reroute us into like the alternate timeline where like that doesn't happen. Right, right, right. Way better prepared. And it just like, it's like, oh, that was crazy. And like, it got clamped down and that didn't spread and everything was fine. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of us would like to go back and change the trajectory of that. Yeah. But, but I will say this yet. Yes, I agree with you. But then there's this other side of things where when it was that hardcore lockdown where like, all you could do is go to the supermarket and come home. And I found myself starting to appreciate things that I didn't take notice of before. And that's like, something simple like a tree or um walks in your neighborhood seeing a walk yeah those small human interactions that we took so for granted of hugs of seeing our family I wouldn't change the lesson the good stuff that we've and I also think a big part of what we're seeing changing sort of worldwide politically was everybody was at home (laughs) and kind of like saw some stuff and was like wait a minute this doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. I think a lot of things and a lot of of frustrations that had been covered up by, Oh, but look, we're doing fine. You know, the, the, everything's humming along smoothly. Like it needed to be disrupted and the system needed to kind of fall apart in order for us to see it. So for those glad it, I'm glad it happened because I know we were all afforded a lot of time to be more active, more involved, more Mm -hmm. community and stuff. But yeah, it's, you know, it, I think that's the thing you can, you can be able to transform any painful experience into something worthwhile and positive. I've done it so many times in my life. Okay. So I also suffer from anxiety mm-hmm. and it's interesting because there's a history of alcoholism in my family. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, mental health was not something that was discussed. Right. And so my mother had actually said to me at one point, she said, you know, now that I look back on it, I think the reason my father, meaning my grandfather was an alcoholic is because he had anxiety. And I think the reason his father was an alcoholic is because he had anxiety and they didn't know. Do you think that at one point in your life, you self-medicated because of anxiety and depression? For sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that was a big part of it was Mm -hmm. how do I deal with these feelings? How do I, how do I manage in my own head? That's just loud and negative and awful to me sometimes, but nobody can hear it. You know what I mean? So you're stuck in that. I mean, the thing about anxiety is, you know, yeah, sure. People think of panic attacks or this and that, but there can just be a raging screaming voice in your head all the time that you like, I just want it to be quiet up there. I just don't want to listen to this. And especially when mental health was not talked about, particularly for men, men didn't have that, those kind of problems. Men didn't get anxiety that, you know, it was, you just 
drank and covered it up. Right. Then having that wiring in your brain that is just something switches on when you're an alcoholic where it's like, there's never enough, like there's, I can't ever fill this hole. Cause there's a bottom, you know, there's a bottom missing in the cup and I just keep trying yeah. to, um, and that, you know, I think that's one thing I'm really grateful for now is like the destigmatization of talking about mental health is happening at a much faster pace than it has in a long time. You know, well, when did you get to a point where you were like, I need to actually develop actual skills to be able to heal myself rather than trying to numb? I mean, that was sort of my whole like journey through sobriety and stuff. A lot of it is really looking at yourself and looking at, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the things that I do that are behaviors that I'm using to try and cope with my life? Like, how, how do I do this better? How do I? interact with people better? How do I hold myself to a higher standard? And how do I go back and make some of those things right so that I can alleviate that shame and that terror Mm -hmm. that comes with all of it? And then how do I go about my life and not create those situations for myself in the future? You know, that's a huge part of it. And, you know, I'm always very honest too. Like for me, medication has been key. I otherwise, I struggle with stuff where I can't, I'm not getting out of bed. I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, just, that's it. I'm not doing anything. And that's not how I want to live my life, you know? And now that I know when I need to speak up for myself, I've done that. I'd say it was like really even into my thirties, early thirties of being like, oh yeah. Okay. So I need some therapy. I need some, I probably need, you know, a psychiatrist for some meds. I need, you know, all of these things and start taking care of myself. Right. And do you pray? And if so, who or what do you pray to? I don't, I'm more of a meditative sort of get quiet and still and present sort of person. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily religious for me when I find a, I call it a higher power, something greater than myself. You know, when I'm at live music and everyone's enjoying themselves and the musicians are just in so much joy playing something, or when, you know, I've been out at protests and I see thousands and thousands of people coming together to do something right. Um, right. Each other and taking care of each other. That for me are the moments that I see something greater than us. And it's when we rise above our own selfish wants and needs and connect at a higher level. And so for me, it's less about religion or particular God and more about how do I connect with that higher vibration that I know Mm -hmm. is incredibly powerful when it's harnessed and used for good. Which, by the way, is the way out of depression, I have found, is that when you serve something greater than yourself or when you help somebody else. Yes. Well, that's the key component of 12-step programs is service. Mm-hmm. It's doing something for someone else because we it, you get so wrapped up in your own thoughts and nonsense that like it becomes really hard to feel good about yourself because all you're listening to is the tape up here that keeps playing, you know, how what a terrible mm-hmm. person you are. But when you go out and you do esteemable acts and you go out and you are of service when it's not convenient for you, when you're not doing it for attention, when you're genuinely just going out there to help another human being, especially when it, you know, you have to sacrifice something for it, your time, your energy, your, yes. that's what it is, right? That's, that's the greatest connection that we're looking for. That's what we're, that's what we're trying to find in the bottom of a drink. 
I'm, we're trying to find that connection and that community and that sense of purpose. And that is done through service work. What do you think you came into this life as Jody Sweeten to learn? And what do you think you came here into this life to teach? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think I came, I came into this life as I am to learn to genuinely be myself. And I genuinely love humanity and people. And I have always been someone that that's where I feel most drawn to is doing something that is for someone else. And, you know, I think I came into this life to learn how to be that kind to myself. I think once you learn sort of the thing, then you be, then you're able to teach it. Yeah. So it was like, I had this really long journey of figuring out some things about myself, my own voice, my own strength, what it was that I was passionate about and how to use that voice. And now I feel like I have the opportunity to share that voice with others, whether it's the voice of going through addiction, whether it's the voice of being a mom and feeling overwhelmed, whether it's the voice of being an actress and what that represents to certain people, whether it's Mm -hmm. being out there and working in social justice areas, like I get to then use that voice that I found in myself and be an example to others. And particularly, I, I hope young women and young women of all kinds to really stand in their truth and their power, because we're so often told as women, particularly young women, to be quiet, like we were talking about earlier, to be polite, to be nice, to not stand up for yourself. That's what I want to teach my girls. It's, I think, my most important lesson that I teach my daughters is how to be a strong woman and to love yourself unconditionally, whether no matter matter what your body looks like. For me, it's very important that I post stuff on Instagram that isn't, that I don't have filters. It's not a bunch of makeup. Because I, I genuinely like me. I'm laughing. A bunch of makeup. <laughs> no, not, no, not like that. But, I like you know what I mean? With like the long ass, you know, things and full. Yeah. Like, it's just not. I like to show <coughs> women, women my age and their 40s, like, just be you. You are amazing and yeah. gorgeous and you get one body that's going to carry you through this life. Like, celebrate it. Whatever it is capable of doing, you know? And it's... I really feel like that sense of self is really important. Okay. So I'm just going to end with a word association. Ooh, okay. I'll shout out a few words. You just tell me what comes to mind, okay? Funny. Comedian. Love. My boyfriend. Fear. Snakes. Money. A lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah. Fame. Fame of, uh, oh gosh, uncomfortable. Death. Natural. Life. Celebrate. And spirituality. Love. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> questions. I absolutely love them. They're so like really interesting. Great Thank interview. You. Thank you so much for that. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. Absolutely. 
other than the podcast, is there, do you have any projects coming up that I should know about? I do actually. On November 19th, I am hosting a late night show through Nowhere Comedy Club. It's uh, your late night show tonight. They have revolving comedian hosts that do it. And it's a full late night show complete with, you know, Saturday Night Live style sketches, videos, comedians, guests, all of it. I'm really excited about it. We've been writing it ourselves. And it's a team that has worked on tons of late night television, The Daily Show, John Oliver, um, you know, late night shows. So it's a great team of writers. I'm really excited about it. November 19th, you can get tickets at nowherecomedyclub.com. It's at 7.30 p.m. and it's streaming all over the world. So you can tune in anywhere uh, in the comfort of your own home and watch your late night show tonight. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jody. And it was so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you too. Thanks, Allison. So wasn't that like the most chill vibe ever? I just, I love her. She is so cool. And when we sat down together, I was actually kind of surprised because I was wearing my hair up in a bun and wearing my Bob Marley t-shirt. She had her hair up in a bun wearing her Bob Marley t-shirt. I mean, come on, like great minds think alike. So awesome. And she just looked like so natural and fresh faced. So when you get the chance, watch the YouTube video of this podcast and you'll see what I mean. Just a really cool person who's comfortable in her own skin and not afraid to say, hey, these are the things that I've struggled with in my life. These are the things that I've been triumphant with. These are the things that I sometimes I'm good at and sometimes I'm not, but I'm still working on it. Just like a really down, honest no holds barred conversation which is really what I try to bring you guys so anyway tell me what you think in the review section if you're on Apple Podcasts leave me a review and tell me what you think of this episode or any specific episode because I really love getting feedback about specific episodes subscribe to my podcast look for me on YouTube and I will catch you guys on the next go around peace